morning, church. Um, should also add, I have a daughter named Delilah, who's three years old, and I've not updated our church website since uh, we've had her. So we have Lila. She's not with us. She's with her grandparents today, but uh, grateful to, to be with you all this morning. Uh, we've had a great weekend with your students and opening God's Word with them and just uh, such a great picture, as uh, Pastor Michael alluded to earlier, of just seeing multiple churches come together in your city for one goal, and that's to see your students know and love Jesus Christ. And I've just been um, honored to be a part of the weekend, and I'm grateful to open God's Word with you this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Uh, maybe some of you are like me, and you know the Psalms are some of my favorite uh, book. It's my favorite book, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And you know, the book of Psalms is filled with 150 chapters of recorded prayers and songs of God's people that speak to almost every situation, almost every circumstance, almost every emotion that we experience in the human life. And while they are relatable to us in so many of life's circumstances, I think what's even greater about the Psalms is that they reveal to us where God is in the midst of those circumstances. They reveal to us where God is when we experience life's emotions and how we can know Him deeply in the middle of all that we may experience in this life. And I just want to give us a few examples of that from the psalm. From the very first psalm, Psalm 1, we see righteous living defined, and we see how we can find joy and knowing God through His Word. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And Psalm 8 is all about God's creating power and His love for us as individuals. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 40 is the psalmist's confidence in God's ability to rescue his people. He cries out, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. In Psalm 51, we see what true repentance looks like as we see King David crying out for mercy and forgiveness of his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. In Psalm 139, we see the value that God places on every human life as the psalmist tells us, or as he says to God, you have knitted me together in my mother's womb. And the list could go on and on and on. The, the Psalms are a transparent look into all of the emotions and experiences of the human life and how God is deeply involved in every single one of them. And so the goal for us this morning is to see the same thing in Psalm 121. It's for us to see God revealed in His Word and to see that God is not distant from those He calls His own, but He is instead intricately evolved, involved in the lives of His people. And so we come to Psalm 121, and we are at the beginning of what is called the Psalms of Ascent. These are prayers and songs that were an important part of the lives of their 
original hearers. It's believed that they were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they would make their journey uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple, three times a year for annual feasts and to worship God. And so it starts in Psalm 120 and it concludes in Psalm 134 after the worship of God has concluded. So Psalm 121 is a part of that journey And its central idea is this. The central idea of Psalm 121 is that God is the helper, protector, and preserver of his people. That's our main idea. And so this morning, I want to read Psalm 121 to us, for us. And then from that text, I want to point out several ways that God cares for his people. And then just offer some practical applications in light of those truths. So if you have your Bible to Psalm 121, you can follow along as I read. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so in these eight verses, we see some incredible truths about God and the way that he cares for his chosen people in this text, people that he had identified all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And so if it stopped there, if this kind of relationship with God was only intended for the original readers of this text, of this psalm, then that would be pretty disappointing for us, to say the least, wouldn't it? It, it would reduce texts like this psalm to nothing more than empty words or, or cute quotes that sound good but don't really mean a whole lot for us. And so when we come to texts like this or, or anywhere else in the Old Testament, it's a good place for us to remind ourselves of God's incredible mercy to us through Christ. It is through the finished work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, conquering sin and death, that this same care, this same grace, this same relationship with God is extended to every single person who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus. And so you and I, in 2020, we are recipients of God's same care through Jesus. That's wonderful news for us this morning. It should lead us to want to know more about how God cares for us. And so I think in this text, there are three ways that we see God revealing who he is and how he cares for us. And the first one is this, the God who created you is your helper. The God who created you is your helper. In these first two verses of Psalm 121, we see the psalmist starting out on what would have been this exciting journey, the road to Jerusalem, to the temple uh, it was a long road. It was filled with long, hot days, walking in the blazing sun. There were giant rocks with plenty of places uh, for robbers to hide, uh, plenty of opportunities for harm to come to you, plenty of places to be attacked as you make this journey. Uh, and not to mention this entire journey was all uphill. There was certainly cause for anxiety and for worry for the people of God as a made this journey. And there also would have been some cause for excitement because as the psalmist looks to the top of the mountains where Jerusalem sits, he sees the temple and sees the feast and sees the worship of God and sees where the presence of God is going to be. And so whether it was anxiety or anticipation, the psalmist looks at the hills and he knew that he needed help to get there. 
So I'm, I'm from Birmingham. I grew up in Alabama, was born in Alabama. But for a couple of years, I lived in Colorado. And in Colorado, um, I was introduced to what they call 14ers. And they are mountains that uh, summit at about 14,000 feet. And uh, people in Colorado just love to climb all those things. And I remember very clearly, I remember my first and last 14er that I hiked in Colorado. Um, I remember going out with a group of friends uh, to early in the morning before the sun came out. We had to drive out a way to get to this beautiful mountain. And just remember as the sun was rising, seeing this uh, snow-capped mountain peak, and it was just, it was beautiful. It really was just an awesome display of God's glory. And I remember us getting there, getting out. I remember the excitement, knowing that in a few hours we were going to be at the top of this mountain. And I remember standing at the bottom of the mountain and thinking to myself, I probably should have prepared a little more than I had for this hike. Uh, I also thought to myself, I should not have made my first 14er with a group of Colorado natives. Not a great idea. Uh, And that proved to be true. About halfway up the the hike, I experienced uh, my first cramp in one leg. A little ways later, I had cramps in both legs. Um, And eventually, I was just laying on the ground or sitting on the rocks with cramps in my legs, and the rest of my group was about 100 feet ahead. And I I told people, you never want to be the guy that your group is sitting and talking to each other and looking back at you and then kind of shaking their head and turning back around and talking to each other. And uh, eventually, we did make it to the top. And I remember getting there, and I just laid on my back on the the summit and just laid there for a good hour just trying to recover and uh, uh, see it. It was beautiful, and it was worth it. It was the last time I would do it. but I'm glad I got to experience. And so I say that is think about this idea of traveling and having anxiety uh, or anticipation about a trip aren't really foreign emotions to us. They're not, for me anyways, and for uh, the same kind of thing that these folks in Psalm 121 are having. They have anticipation, anxiety, but it, the anticipation and anxiety is greater than just a mountain hike. The stakes were higher. The presence and worship of God was what was waiting for them. <laughs> at the temple, but the fear of being harmed or worse separated them from that goal. So seeing the hill on which Jerusalem and the temple sit, the question arises, where does my help come from? Verse 2 confidently answers, my help comes from the Lord, uh, the maker of heaven and earth. What an incredible truth that the help for the journey Though the, through the treacherous hills, through the winding roads, through the blazing sun would come from the one who created it all. This isn't just a truth that we see in theory, right? We see this all throughout Scripture, God helping those that He has called His own. We see it when Moses and the Israelites escape slavery and go through uh, the Red Sea that's being parted by God. We see in the life of King David as God gives him victory after victory in battle. The, The Apostle Paul being sustained and finding joy while he is in prison facing death for being a follower of Christ, just to name a few. God is the helper of His people, both then and to those He has called His own in 2020 at Emmanuel Baptist Church. God is our helper. Are you in need of God's help this morning? Of course, to some degree, we all are in need of God's help, but maybe there's a specific situation that comes to mind for you. Are you in the middle of a family conflict? Are you in the middle of some sort of sickness? Do you have fear or worry or anxiety thinking about the coronavirus and where it's going to end up next? Is there 
a work situation that is causing you stress, or your finances causing you anxiety, or causing you to be afraid of what's going to happen next? Is there a burden that is weighing you down that you don't think you can stand much longer? The good news of Psalm 121 is that you have the help of the Creator God of the Bible. And that's not just a general cliche phrase kind of way, but for us as New Testament Christians, there are specific ways that God helps us, specific ways that, that God is actively involved in our life. And I just want to list off three of them. The first one is through His Holy Spirit. God helps us through the Holy Spirit. John 14, when Jesus uh, was preparing to leave the earth and he was telling his disciples he was going to leave. What does he say? He promises that he is going to send someone greater. He is going to send the Holy Spirit who he calls the helper. Our greatest help from God is the Holy Spirit that he has sent who dwells in us. A few ways that his spirit works in us. He reveals Christ to us. First and foremost, the spirit helps us to see Christ. Romans 8 reminds us that, that in our weakness, the Spirit is praying on our behalf. The Spirit is interceding for us. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God to us. It opens up His Word, reminding us of truth, allowing us to hear directly from God through His Word. The Spirit empowers us to kill sin, to pursue holiness, to be more like Christ. Another way God helps us is he helps us by giving us His Word. And we've talked about that some already of the power of God's Word, but this is just a reminder that this book, this Bible, is not a collection of old writings about God. According to 2 Timothy 3, what? These words are breathed out by God. He is the one who has inspired them. He is the one who has inspired the authors to write these words. There is transforming help found. In the Word of God. We spent a lot of time talking about that this weekend with your students, reminding them it is a worthy pursuit to invest your life knowing God through His Word. God also gives us help through His church by establishing His large, His universal church, the people that are His, the collective body of Christ. Um, we see that expressed through local churches just like this one all across the world. God has given us a, a place, a great help for this life through community. A place where we can live out the 59 one another's that we see in Scripture, where joys are celebrated, where burdens are bared together, where truth is preached and taught and sang. We gather together to do those things, where we have an opportunity to be helped by God through others and to let God use us to help others as well. The creator God of the Bible is your help. The second truth that we see about God and his care for us is that the God who never sleeps is your protector. The God who never sleeps is your protector. You know, God's protection for his people means that he is the one watching over them on their journey. And what a great comfort that must have been for them, particularly as you think about the dangers of walking all day, of sleeping outside at night with the weather, the animals, and anything else that they might encounter on this journey. And even if they managed to fend off any attacks during the day, there was going to come a point where a majority of the group was going to have to sleep. And then they were at their most vulnerable, right? What I love about verses 3 through 6 is that it highlights not only God's protection, but His personal nature. He isn't just a, a protector of a group, although He is. Verse 4 says He keeps 
Israel, he who keeps Israel, but he also watches over his children individually with every detail and circumstances. In verses 3 and verses 5, we see that. He will not let your foot be moved. The Lord is your keeper. God's protection over us isn't just something that we say as a means to bring artificial comfort, but it is a foundational truth for our lives that fuels us to live fearless and confident and faithful lives in Him. These verses also provide a great hope for us in showing us uh, that God's protection over us, His care over the details of your life does not end. Verses 4 and 5 give really practical example of how God is not like us by reminding us of the fact that He doesn't need sleep. One of the ways that you and I are reminded of our humanness and our dependence on God is our need for sleep. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to Malaysia, and I've been back several times since then and really love Malaysia. And, um, you know, the, the worst thing about it, though, is it takes forever to get there. And the, the longest leg of the trip, the longest flight of the trip is about 15 to 16 hours. And so that's a long time to be stuck in an airplane. But on those flights, I'm always looking for a way to kind of hack the jet lag that's going to inevitably set in. When I get there or when I get back from going, I'm always trying to think that what's the best strategy for me to approach so that I don't have to deal with jet lag and be asleep. And this time that Rachel and I went together on our way home, I told her that I had come up with a plan that I thought would work and was going to help me uh, hack the jet lag. And what I planned to do was to stay up uh, for the entire flight, which was an overnight flight, for the entire 15 hours. I was just going to stay awake, and by doing that, I would be awake in the morning when we arrived back in the U.S., and I would just jump on the U.S. time zone, and that would be that. And so it made a lot more sense in my head than it does as I say it out loud to you, but at the time, that's really what I thought I was going to do. Uh, well, you, you can guess what happened. That plan worked for about half of the trip, uh, and then the rest of the trip, I, I fell asleep and I woke up to a picture that uh, Rachel and one of our friends had taken of me, passed out of sleep on the TV screen in front of me uh, with a movie still playing and drool just dripping down the screen. <laughs> so in those moments, in that moment, I was reminded of my humanness, of my need for sleep. It is impossible for us to be on guard. It is impossible for us to uh, protect our families, to manage all that needs managing, to be at work, to be alert for 24 hours a day. But it is not impossible for God. It is who He is. He is not dependent on sleep to recharge Him. God is fully alert, fully awake, fully watching over us and protecting our lives every minute of every day. One of the things that verses 3 through 6 uh, helps remind us of is that we are not in control of very much in our lives, right? We need God's protection. Even on our best days, we can't be on guard 24 hours a day. But praise God that we don't have to. We haven't been assigned to that role. God has taken it on. And He's the one that's qualified to do so. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The God of the Bible is a God who doesn't need sleep. He doesn't get tired. He isn't overworked. His brain isn't foggy. He isn't overloaded or stressed out about the responsibilities that are on his plate. And that's the God who is our help. That's the God who is our protector. He is fully capable of watching over us in our lives. And he does so freely for all who are his. 
In light of that truth, just practically speaking, it's good for us to embrace God's gift of rest. God has given it to us not just to replenish and recharge, but to be used as a tool for worship, to help remind us of our dependence on Him, and then to rejoice that even while we sleep, He is our protector. The final truth that we see about God and His care for us this morning is that He is our preserver. The God who saved you is your preserver. And this psalm closes with the greatest hope that there is for God's people. That more than our helper, more than our protector, God is the preserver or keeper of our lives. Verse 7 tells us that the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. It's such an incredible promise for us to think about. When combined with verse 8, it seems that what the psalmist means here by the word evil is kind of twofold, both preservation from the evil of the world, but also a preservation of our own uh, temptation to, to pursue evil, to commit evil that we may be tempted to fall into. God is keeping us. He is working to keep us from that as well. But you know, if we're honest, I think that truth about God is probably one of the ones that we would wrestle with the most. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to look around and to see that there is clearly evil that is taking place in our world, right? And Christians are not exempt to that. We are, uh, Christians, followers of Christ, are, are certainly not exempt from that at all. It's just thinking about the persecution that has, is taking place across our world, um, you know, in places like China, where Christians are facing immense persecution for their faith, and plenty of other places as well. Uh, you know, even closer to home and in, in our own denomination, we've seen evil being exposed as the abuse crisis in our churches is being brought to light. It's absolutely heartbreaking. In our church uh, in Birmingham, we have seen firsthand as believers have suffered from cancer, from sickness, from disease. And I'm sure if we went around this room, that some of you could testify to your own experience with suffering. And while we know that we have not been promised an easy or suffering-free life as Christians, events like those really cause me to question, and maybe can cause you to question and ask, how is the reality of this evil reconciled with the promise of verse 7, that the Lord will keep you from all evil? And the answer is found in the next verse, as the psalmist helps us put on an eternal lens as we read verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What these verses are pointing us to is that God saving and preserving us has an eternity view in mind. It has an eternal view in mind. It's not just about the next 50 to 100 years of our lives here. It's about the next 50 to 100 billion years of eternity, the life that's to come. You know, Jesus speaks to this same thing in Matthew 10. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The ultimate evil that any human can suffer, that any of us can suffer, is the enemy destroying the body and soul in hell for all eternity. But for those who have trusted in Christ, that evil has been destroyed. That evil has been eliminated. That evil has been taken off the table as an option. 
For the original hearers of this psalm on this journey to Jerusalem, this was what they placed their ultimate hope in, that God would preserve them, not just for this life, but for the life to come. And for them, the promise of God's eternal rescue was their confidence. Their hope was placed in a promised Messiah. They were looking forward to this promised Messiah who was going to come and to save his people. Brothers and sisters, the greatest news on earth for us today is that the promised Messiah has come, that his name is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who has saved the world, who is saving and who will save his people for all time. And it's because of this reality that there can be no mistake for those who are in Christ, God is the keeper of our lives. He will ultimately keep us from all evil for now and for all of eternity. For us as men and women on this side of the cross who have trusted in Christ, this reality has been made even more clear for us. God has shown us, He has demonstrated to us His desire to save our lives and to preserve our lives by giving up the life of His Son, Jesus. I reminded your students this weekend, and I want to remind you this morning, if there is any doubt in your mind about God's desire to keep you from evil, I want to encourage you to remember what happened on the cross. If there's any doubt about God's desire to keep your life, to preserve your life for now and for all eternity, remember the life of His Son that was given up on your behalf. God is the preserver of your life. Sin does not have the last word. Suffering does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word. And the one who has saved you and is now keeping you has the last word. Because Jesus has the last word, because he has set us free from the consequences of sin, from the fear of death, we are free to live lives fully confident in his help, fully confident in his protection, fully confident in his preservation offered to us. And we're free to proclaim that same hope of the gospel with boldness and without fear, knowing that just like the people in Jerusalem in Psalm 121 who are walking towards uh, the presence of God, that we too are moving towards the day when we will be in the presence of God forever. We will be with Jesus as he establishes a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, and we will worship him standing alongside every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and we will do it for all of eternity. And so church, this morning and every day, let's love, let's worship, let's trust, let's follow the God of the Bible, who is the helper, protector, and preserver of his people. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are a people who uh, are in desperate need of your help. God, every day we need your intervention. We are dependent on you in countless ways. So, Father, we acknowledge our dependence, and then, Lord, we just uh, look at your word and turn our praise to you and say thank you for being a God who helps your people. Lord, you have not left us to fend for ourselves. You've not left us um, to figure it out on our own. You've not left us to uh, do the best we can to make it uh, to heaven. Father, you have sent your Son, and you have made a way, 
and now you are intricately involved, Father. You are intimately knowledgeable about each one of our lives and everything that we are walking through. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would trust that, that we would hold fast to the promises of your word, that you would give us strength to uh, continue this journey moving towards you, and that we would do it in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to your name. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.